This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original series. I'm Norman Lau, and we have another fantastic show for you. And with me, as he is always, for this show is Mr. Ataz, Jeffrey Harlan. Jeff, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to re-examining some Romulan culture, uh, getting quite a bit of those as I pass back and forth between 22nd and 23rd centuries. You're absolutely right. The um, last episode that we did had to deal with the enemy below and balance of terror, and that had a lot to do with our very first encounter with the Romulans in the original series. And we have a very interesting show for all of our listeners tonight. What we're going to do for all of you, and this is something that's a first for both Jeff and I, and unfortunately, Ken is on, he is on a special assignment right now, so he won't be able to join us tonight. But for Jeff and I, we are going to attempt our very first live watch commentary for Standard Orbit, at least for the two of us, because I think this is something that we've always wanted to do. It's something in the Babel Conference that many of our listeners have asked us to at least try to do at least once, maybe a couple times, you know, during the course of this year. And we're hitting the trifecta here, Jeff, because not only are we doing a live rewatch commentary, but we're also hitting season three and we're also hitting the only other episode that features live Romulans. And if you want to guess it, be our guest, but we are talking about Spock's brain. I'm just kidding. Again, that's, that's my go-to because I'm wearing the Spock's Spock's brain t-shirt. No, we're talking about Jeff. Which episode are we talking about? Well, this would have to be the enterprise incident. Uh, like you were saying, yeah, this is the uh, third season, and something I find interesting is that it was actually filmed and produced before Spock's Brain, but it aired afterward, because they aired the episodes all completely out of order from when they made them. And not only do we have the Enterprise incident, but we have, for our viewing and for this particular commentary, we are going to be featuring the remastered high definition version of the enterprise incident. And that means all the new visual effects, which we will be commenting on and whether or not we actually see how the sets have suffered a little bit, maybe because we were in season three, we mentioned that in Spock's brain and I haven't had a chance to actually watch the HD version of this. Jeff, have you? I've seen both versions many times. Okay, so you probably already know what you're looking for. But for all of our viewers out there who think that this is going to be one of the normal shows that you pop into your podcast player 
maybe if you're in your car or if you're commuting, if you're going to work or if you're just kind of cruising along and listening to it. I just want to let you all know that this isn't that particular format for podcasting. This is an actual sit down with us. We're actually going to let you know when to hit play on your player and watch along with us with our commentary and make comments yourself. Let us know in the Babel Conference what you think about this episode. What did you think about our commentary? Join in, chime in with your own opinions and responses and, and be part of the fun. So yes, we have the Romulans again, which is going to be exciting. We have season three, which is always exciting for us to talk about. And we're going to get things set up here with our particular episode player. So Jeff, let's all set ourselves here at zero, zero, colon, zero, zero, colon, zero, zero, for us to make sure that we're all set up for this countdown. And I'm going to give everyone a countdown. It's going to be three, two, one. And when I say play, push play on your players so that it's not three, two, one play and then hit play. It's like that real funny lethal weapon joke. It's like you know, three, one, two, three, and then go, or is it one, two, three? So it's going to be three, two, one, and then play is when you actually hit the play button. So we're all synced together. By my counter, the episode is 50 minutes and 46 seconds long. Uh, that will be the end of the episode. And we're going to have a little bit of wrap up in the end. We have a fantastic email from one of the listeners that we'd like to get in, uh, get in there before the end of the show and just have fun with us. You know, this isn't a, this isn't a right or wrong kind of thing. We're not going to be doing any real heavy, deep trivia as much as I know Jeff is probably going to break some out there as ATAS does using, during the course of his show. This is for just... We want you to feel like you're sitting along with us, that we're sitting next to you in the 602 Club, watching this on the monitor. Ruby's bringing us drinks, and we're all just having a good time watching Star Trek together, and that's what it's all about. So, Mr. Ataz, are you ready? Can't really tell with the headgear that I got on, but uh, I got my ears on, and I'm ready to go. All right, we're ready to go. So, I'm at 000. Ataz is at 000, and I hope you, the fans that are listening with us, are ready to go. So, in three, two, one, play. And here we go. Now, what we're looking at in, in typical Star Trek fashion is the Enterprise, and Enterprise doing his thing. I did note that uh, Uhura just kind of stopped and she's like, whoa, you know, backed off from him. You know, atypical for uh, behavior for her. You know, the one thing I noticed in season three, and maybe not so much in Spock's brain, but in here, is that Kirk is very kind of, and maybe it's playing to the episode, but Kirk is very stressed out. He's very sweaty. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it's because of the, uh, the breathability of the new uniforms. If you notice people, the uniforms are in the new like poly knits, very stretchable fabric. And it's very different from the velour. So it's a little more for you know, form hugging. And I, it's probably, it tends to like raise the body temperature up a little bit because. It's a lot easier to tell the difference on the HD as well. Absolutely. And I think the color is a little bit more accurate too. Mm -hmm. Now for everyone who's watching along with us, we're going into the neutral zone or we're course changing into the neutral zone. And Shatner's playing tense really well. I like these these new shots of the Enterprise, too. I mean, they're a little bit different than what they had on the original show, but it still fits with the aesthetic. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why they're, the, the team paid so much attention to the cuts of all of these. They didn't want to replace 
per, per se, the, the spirit of those shots. They wanted to enhance the storytelling. And for all of the, you know, almost 50 years and generations of fans, you know, it would be almost sacrilege to be replacing a shot without the shot's intent and spirit. And now we see Scotty sporting the, uh, the season three Scotty hair, which is actually my favorite hairdo, the, the, the combed back version. Very serious, very serious of Lieutenant Commander. And we're looking at the appearance of a. Well, it looks like a Klingon ship. Looks like a Klingon ship. It quacks like a Klingon ship. <laughs> <laughs> Romulans using Klingon design. I thought that was actually a very interesting and um, a good safety net for being able to recycle these models. Yeah, it was pretty clever. And here's our first big change on the uh, uh, HD remasters. That's right, because originally the Enterprise was surrounded before during this cold opening with three Klingon D7s. Yeah, it was it was three Klingon D7s with Romulan markings, but for the remastered, they uh, threw in uh, the Bird of Prey design from Balance of Terror. Yeah, and that makes sense. So here we are, folks, at the opening of the Enterprise incident in season three. And we're going to talk a little bit through this because I think everyone that has watched the original series knows exactly what the, the credo and the motto is of the opening of Star Trek. So an interesting point there with seeing all those D7s. Now, I read somewhere that the original Bird of Prey model from, the, uh, from Balance of Terror was destroyed. I've heard that too. Yeah. yeah. And... Of course, they didn't want to obviously invest any more money into season three than they were already outputting in the budget. So they already had the D7s. Obviously, those models remained intact. And it's just, it's an easy throwaway line to just say, hey, the Romulans are using Klingon designs. Why wouldn't they? Because, you know, they're, they're masters of subterfuge. They're masters of guile and misdirection. Why not use that? But in the practical sense of what we're talking about, and in terms of just real budget, they threw away the models. You know, so in all honesty, but the new shots of the way that they're filming this is just fantastic. We're seeing like the rhyming the bird of prey from um, from basically a worm's eye point of view. It looks fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And Kurt continuing his tirade. But I don't think sometimes when I watch this, I don't I don't think that like Kirk is like tense enough because we've seen Kirk tense but I think he's starting to kind of get a little bit more on the side of like walking that insanity line I'm pretty sure they recycled those uniforms on the Romulans oh I'm sure <laughs> now this is sub commander Tao yes Tao and um, I don't know I got a kick of hearing um, sub commander T'Pol in Enterprise <laughs> So somewhere along the line, the Romulan and the Vulcans were sharing the same military designations. Well, the Romulans did come from the Vulcans, so it figures that they would carry on some of the things. A lot of the American military ranks come from British military ranks, so kind of makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah. But I remember the first time they introduced Subcommander to Paul, I'm like, is she Romulan? <laughs> <laughs> um, it looks like that uh, the set is very reminiscent of 
what we would have seen in Balance of Terror. The lighting is very much the same. Obviously, they want to use the same kind of design and visual cues from that so that you were having the seamless integration of basically the last time that we saw Romulan on camera. But he has an interesting look. You know, it's like he doesn't have the typical straight hair, you know, very militaristic look of a Romulan. At least the Romulans that we know, like the Romulan. The Romulans in like in, say, well, when Mark Leonard played the, the, the uh, commander, you know, he had a very Spock-like look. This guy, he's a little bit more off the beaten path. So it's kind of na- nice to see um, some diversity, you know, there in the in the Romulan military. Yeah, almost every time we see the Romulans, except for in this episode, really, I mean, they all look like Spock. And that I love. They, they all that. have the same bowl haircut, even. That's true. That's true. Now, being Starship fans that we are, and we love schematics. That oh yeah, the schematic on the on the conference table there was just awesome. I mean, yeah. I know it's primitive in terms of what you see today, especially when you see uh, the different Elcars types of, of schematics that the next generation does in the Akutograms. But back then, just even looking at it was just awesome. Well, it was simple, and it said everything you needed in a tenth of a second. Yeah. I mean, if for anything. Well, that's interesting. We have uh, another command officer behind Bones who kind of seems to me he should be ops. I don't know why. He's just standing there in a very ops-like way. <laughs> <laughs> and he has a phaser on his hip. Yeah. Huh. Kirk and Spock um, deliberating as Kirk and Spock usually do. And it's interesting that they kind of leave McCoy to the wayside. I think they wanted to give him obviously plausible deniability. I said dismissed. I love that. He's he's usually never snaps at McCoy. And McCoy's trying mm-hmm. to make this entire case that the, the captain is just overworked, overstressed. He hadn't had a break. He's basically just bearing the weight of all of his command on his shoulders, and he's just starting to crack. And I think that's great that it plays into McCoy's, uh, I guess, uh, McCoy's paranoia that the captain is really in trouble. And it's kind of like, if a Romulan actually interrogated McCoy about Kirk, it would sell the fact that Kirk is really just sliding down a very slippery slope. And it wouldn't be a lie because that's what McCoy actually thinks. So the plausible deniability of that is actually really smart in the writing. DC Fontana wrote this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, we all know of these, of, of Dorothy Fontana's legendary quality. In, and she uh, even did a follow-up to this in the comics as well recently. Was that right? Yeah, it was uh, for IDW Enterprise Incident, or it was a uh, the uh, Year Four Enterprise Experiment. Okay, and it's them testing uh, the cloaking device after they've taken it. This particular cloaking device. Yes. Okay. So we see that Kirk and Spock have made uh, have raised the white flag, and are looking for some type of information exchange with the Romulan commander. Now, understanding what we've seen um, in Balance of Terror and springboarding it onto this episode, I think that Kirk and Spock are thinking along the lines of, hmm, maybe we'll meet another military commander in the same vein, i.e. same gender, as Mark Leonard's character. I mean, I believe that that's what they believed of the Romulan Empire, you know, being this war machine, this militaristic war machine. Now they're focusing on a D7. So are we to believe that this is the command ship? Uh, apparently. Yeah. 
And internally, it looks different than what we saw of the uh, the bird of prey from the previous episode too. So now this was a surprise, and because it is, you know, it's 1968, and it's the Romulans. I think it was a really awesome choice to do this. I really do. I mean, the miniskirt notwithstanding, because obviously in every single form of government in Star Trek, the original series, every female officer of any rank wears a miniskirt. So I don't know. I, I think it would have been neat if she was actually more uh, in a centurion type uniform that we're used to seeing just to give everyone in the military that, that real, that sense of uh, just that overbearing sense of military professionalism. But I think that um, this Joanne Linville's in my notes and she mm-hmm. pulls off this uniform brilliantly. I saw uh, actually, and I think it was Long Beach Comic Con or maybe it was WonderCon in Anaheim, somebody pull off this uniform and it was, no, it was Dragon Con. It was Dragon Con and it was perfect. Absolutely perfect. I don't know. I just love the way that this, I never was really a big fan of the, of the, uh, the big next generation shoulder pad uniforms. No, know? I didn't like those too much either and i i like these they're they're simple and effective but one thing that just i love about her character is that uniform aside she is absolutely kirk's equal and you know it from the second she's on screen now that's a very good point she comes off as professional and you know not aggressive she's very tactical and i think she's 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 probing kirk because kirk made the choice to go into the neutral zone. It's not like they were there by mistake or it's not that they were you know, like in balance of terror. They were contemplating whether or not to break the Federation side of the neutral zone in order to give chase to the Romulan commander. Obviously, for people who have seen the Enterprise ends before, know Kirk's endgame. But for those who haven't and for those who are watching it with us, there's a very specific reason why Kirk is making these choices and why he's acting the way he's doing. Also, we're seeing a little bit more of a attention shift to Spock. The Romulan commander has has found extreme interest in a Vulcan first officer on the Enterprise and in Starfleet. Like so many fangirls. <laughs> yeah, but she thinks that, you know, in, in this connection here, she believes that he could be so much more than just yeah. Kirk's lapdog. I think that's the way she's seeing him. Yeah. Yeah, and he was extremely popular with the uh, the fans, so it made sense that they would focus on him as well. Yeah. But this nice this there's that she's trying to like find this really interesting common ground between the two, the heritage of the Vulcans and the Romulans. And it plays all the way way later on when Spock was ambassador during unification. I mean, it's a really nice way of bringing this all the way around because at this point in time, I don't think Spock is in that headspace. But where he even ends look up. At this, you, it, this could even be uh, interpreted as kind of giving him the very first germ of the idea that the, there could be a reconciliation. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, the more he learns about the internal politics and the way that the Romulan Star Empire works from his experiences here, Probably give him a he. It gives him obviously a better insight. I mean, he, it's it's playing to the logical part of his nature, where it's like all of the information that we have is incorrect, in my opinion, in Spock's opinion. Kurt Shatner plays agitated so well. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yes, you know, if there were, 
If there were a time where William Shatner truly needed to tap into his overzealous acting ability, it's this episode because he just has to, he has to look like he's just falling off the rails and he does it so well. And he doesn't do it like immediately. It's just this really great bridge and this buildup over this buildup of this head of steam over time. I love it. In contrast to Spock's coolness and, and Spock's very Vulcan-esque candor. And the little facial twitches that Chatner is doing during this scene are just phenomenal. There's a thing that I love that Shatner does. It's this quivering lip. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um he kind of sucks in his bottom lip and his jaw kinds to uh, tends to like uh, quiver and vibrate a little bit like he's building up this rage, this fury. It, it's the same look that he gives when he yells Khan in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, where he builds up that whole Khan. His whole bottom half of his face just goes Richter. <laughs> That's a lie. I love. There it is. You see? Shut up, Spock! (laughs) The behind the scenes of this would have been really interesting to watch. Just, are they working out some issues? I know that there was tension between Shatner and Nimoy, you know, during the course of this. I mean, Spock was getting a lot more speaking part. He was getting a lot more attention on camera. Maybe there's something here that... um, The reason why we're laughing, folks, if you're, and like I said before, at the very beginning of the show, you have to be watching this episode with us because there's a great close-up of Kirk right now. Just insane. Just that that Shatner craziness. It's just amazing. I love it. It's so good. Those big green eyes. Yeah, they're just he just went off off the rails right there. But and we know that the crew doesn't know what's happening right now. I think that, well, except for Scotty, because no matter what happens, Scotty protects the Enterprise. I mean, he does it to the letter. I mean, we it goes all the way back to the whole um, whom gods destroy, you know, when Garth pretending himself is, you know, he's, he's, he's the, um, the Kirk imposter and they have the whole queen to queens level three, queen to kings level run exchange. And Scotty doesn't give up the command for anything. You know, if it's not Kirk's voice... It's a nice, there's a nice homage to, um, I can't remember which episode it was in Enterprise, where Malcolm goes, I only listen to the orders of the captain. You know, it doesn't matter like what you say or what you think was promised to you, unless I hear Archer's voice himself, all bets are off. So I, I always love that yeah, about Scotty. That was Scotty. Uh, the Andorian incident. Uh, Shran was telling them to, to surrender or something, or he's telling them what to do. And he's like, I don't take orders from a calm voice unless it's the captain. That's true. No, that's right. You're right. That's that's exactly right. I just love uh, I just love Jimmy Dewan's intensity here. I mean, he just does such a great job as I mean, he looks natural in the position of command. Now, you know, once again, I'm just marveling how they're able to hold uh, to hide the uh, injury to his hand that he got in World War Two. Didn't he lose a finger? Yeah, he lost a finger at D-Day. That's right. So pay attention, folks, if you're looking at Scotty kind of um, doing the command stuff on the chair. Which hand was it, Jeff? Do you remember? It was his right middle finger. Okay. Really? Yeah. That's not easy to hide. There's only a few shots in the entire series where you can see it. And whenever he's doing the transporter controls, how it switches to a close-up of the hands, he's got a hand body double. Mr. Atos, I'm telling you, 
He's fierce this episode. What I loved about this particular scene is Kirk's really driving this human versus Vulcan wedge to further distance himself from Spock so that Spock can begin his strategy, if you will. Kind of reminds me of uh, what are little girls made of. You're right. And for the, would you mind explaining? Well, that was uh, when he implanted the, uh, the, the false hatred of Vulcans into his Android duplicate so that Spock would figure out that it's not really him. Spock does that a lot. I'm going to go back to like whom gods destroy because there was the fight between Lord Garth as Kirk because he mutated into Kirk or morphed into Kirk and then Kirk is Kirk. Spock wanted to know, you know, which one was which. And Spock just has that ability to do so. He just breaks it down logically. But I love how, um, I love how Joanne here is, she's all different shades of confident. And I love that. If, I mean, confidence is a very sexy thing. And I think it's playing to this 1968 mentality of having a female commander of this alien vessel. She's sexy looking, but she's also confident, which is like extremely sexy for women, you know, and she does it really well. I mean, she just does it perfectly. It's, 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 it's not forced. It's very well balanced. She is a fantastic actress. And I think that she has this really great natural chemistry with Leonard Nimoy. I mean, the, the both of them on screen is just fantastic. But it's also a really nice like symmetry between the two of them. You have a Romulan who doesn't have the constraints of the Kolinar process that purges emotion. And you have Spock who's playing more to the Vulcan instead of his human side. And probably that's giving him the advantage because he could definitely fall prey to his human instincts. But that would probably jeopardize his mission at the time. That chair looks super comfortable that the Rhyme Commander is sitting in. Oh, yeah. I'd love to have a chair like that. Perks of Command. Even Kirk doesn't have a chair like that. So when you're watching this, Jeff, I mean, we're, we're watching the HD version. And in Spock's brain, we saw so many examples of just how the budget was completely stripped out of that show. When I watch this, like this, this particular scene where, you know, the energy field knocks Kirk down in jail... I mean, it doesn't look like this show is suffering from any budget loss. I mean, it looks really robust set-wise. Well, a lot of the sets they already had standing. But didn't, um, I, maybe the, it's the because Romulan they were, sets are about the only ones they had to build, and those were pretty basic, really. Well, maybe the interspersing of like all these great CGI um, recreations of the ships mm-hmm. are adding a lot to the value. Yeah, because I, I remember the original version of it, you know, they looked pretty basic, the uh, the ship models. I mean, I mean, yeah, before they got remastered, they almost kind of looked ghostly in a way. Mm-hmm. They were very nondescript. Yeah, they really didn't look like they were very finished at all. Um, it, it was almost like they uh, weren't even painted. I love the this purple lavender palette that's going on in the Romulan ship. I mean, the, the complimentary colors that you have a lot of, it's warm, but it's not aggressively warm. And the cool scenes in the hallway, you know, have a lot of greens and a lot of blues there. But I don't know, it's just the ship feels very organic. And as soon as you turn off any of those gel filters on any of the lighting apparatuses that there are, apparati that are there, everything just turns into this great, I mean, that could have been basically the hallway of the Enterprise with a couple of odds and ends tacked on. Mm-hmm. Because the Enterprise itself is always pretty heavily 
basically Actually, lit. it looks very similar to the uh, Enterprise Corridors. Yeah, because they, just they a, have a few the... things added next to the doors. Exactly, exactly. And then the, the green gel light. Yep. Which, for the Romulans and Vulcans, I mean, that's the color of their blood. That would be like a, a red-shaded hallway to us. You know, that's actually a really good point. You're playing to this whole kind of Romulan, this this Romulan, I don't know what to call it, like, um, what would you call it? <laughs> I'm not a loss for words here. Sure. The reason why I blanked out there, because I wanted to say something else. I'm looking at this red area that's behind Spock. And obviously, when you're walking down a hallway that's really nicely lit, cool greens and blues, and you have this kind of like this Romulan cultural aesthetic, that's what I wanted to say. You see this red doorway area, and it's obvious to anyone <laughs> that do not go in there. Yeah. <laughs> but like the entire rest of the ship is bathed in green light. It's almost like, you know, they would be at red alert, and maybe this is their red alert lighting, except they're green alert. You know, Shatner started to put on a little bit of, of weight in season three. You can tell the, the, the uniforms are very, very tight. They're very clingy. But it works really well for this scene because he looks just, he looks puffy, he looks exhausted, he looks uh, completely beaten and broken. It, it just plays to the the overall aesthetic of his character and I think it's fantastic. And I don't know, I just, I love the way that a lot of these these scenes are framed. I mean, you can see as the Romulan commander is discussing with Bones kind of like the deterioration of Kirk's overall mental and physical fatigue he starts keying off on that and it just starts enraging him to the point where he has to do something. He just, he has like, you know what? I have to sell whatever I'm doing right now or else the, the gig is up. I have a hard time like walking the line in this particular commentary between being a commentary and just spoiling everything <laughs> for people who are watching this for the first time. So I apologize. But like right now you see, they're talking about Kirk, and Kirk is just not having it. He's overhearing the entire conversation. She's making some suggestions. Spock's like, well, yeah. And we're in, we are at this stage of the game in toupee mode, yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my favorite scenes of all the original series. I remember distinctly when I saw this for the first time. I think this is why I love face hugger scenes from aliens so much. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do? Oh, bones are so good in the scene. The Romulan commander doesn't look uh, none the worse hearing this information. Your instincts are right. I love the forest so much. Yeah, he's so intense. Yeah, another tour de forest performance. That's right, another tour de forest. Maybe the entire like maybe season three is just a tour de forest season. <laughs> <laughs> we are the. Uh, it doesn't look like the set for sick bay suffered any of the worst for wear. They probably weren't taken down, were they? I don't think they were. No, I mean it. It's not like it would take a lot for them to put him back together, but. You're seeing you're I think they're recycling a lot because you're seeing that same type of structural ribbing, those steel ribbings that are on the wall that kind of keep the wall segments together. Mm-hmm. 
And folks, you're starting to see that there's a plan in action here for all of you first-time watchers. For all of you rewatchers, you're like, okay, we know what's going on. But I love how they kept Bones in the dark. I really do. I think it was fantastic. Really good idea. Chapel too. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, they, yeah, and her her relief that Spock was not a traitor was uh, palpable. Right. Interesting lighting change there. Mm-hmm. You know, where he was kind of like in almost like a coma-like stasis, and then boom, back in action. This was actually the point when I saw this for the first time where I was so relieved. I'm like, oh, thank God that Kirk didn't go off the deep end. This was all a ruse. Sure fooled them, though. I love that. (laughs) And there's that word again, risk. You took an awful risk, Jim. Now, here's an interesting thing that's coming up. I think that it was cool that Kirk didn't bring in Bones. He could have. He could have easily brought him into the plan. And I think I asked you this, Jeff, earlier on in a note. Is this the first time that in the original series that we saw actual application of plastic surgery to change the appearance of any of these officers, in this case, Kirk. As far as I can remember, this is the only time we saw it. That's what I thought too. Because most of the time when they went down to a planet, they were actually meeting other species that they've actually established relationships with. Or, or they were an alien species that just happened to look exactly like humans. Like in Return of the Archons, you know, everyone was humanoid. Uh, this side of paradise, everyone was humanoid, but that's because they were human colonists there and the, the flower spores took them over. But this is the very first time that they actually just went for it. They actually physically altered Kirk to look like a Romulan. We've, we saw that um, in Enterprise for the first time in... Civilization. Civilization, right, where they changed... Obviously, Flocks knew what he was doing, so does Bones. But what do you think that, the, um, that they wanted to do here? Did they just want to try something new, try something exotic and different? And, and, or do you think like William Shatner was like, I want to do something that's radical in the third season. I don't want to just keep doing Kirk over and over and over again. I want to do something that's interesting. Do you think that was at all at play there? I think that might have been part of it. Also, it's, uh, you know, kind of adds a, like a, a spy show element to it. And, you know, you had uh, Man from Uncle and you had, uh, you know, Mission Impossible going on around this time. You know, those were popular kind of uh, genre at the time. So I can imagine they would want to play into that too. You know what I love about this this whole scene? I mean, it is a seduction scene. I know for all intents and purposes, she's serving Spock Romulan ale. My, it's illegal in the Federation. <laughs> it's like, why bones? Don't you know this is illegal? Um, it's nice that it's it's very tastefully done. And there isn't this overt kind of meeting between these two. It's There's a respect of the cultures. She even said that she made a lot of the dishes specifically for Spock. They were Vulcan, specific dishes of Vulcan cuisine. There's, she's not just trying to romance Spock. She's trying to bring him over to the Romulan Star Empire, possibly as 
her equal or her consort or her advisor or to advisor of in general, but that's actually asking Spock to turn traitor. Mm -hmm. She wants him to defect, basically. Now, Kirk and Romulan gear, that is pretty awesome looking. That would make for the best cosplay. It was a pretty cool action figure, too. You know what would be neat? And I don't know if they listen to this podcast, if, if Star Trek continues, but would it be interesting to see Vic as Kirk as a Romulan in an episode? <laughs> <laughs> that, would be a, that would be an interesting turn, huh? You know you're in the future when you're drinking from square glasses. Now, the Romulan ale was not in a square glass. I don't know what we're doing here. That looks like a, a Theragrin derivative. Well, she wasn't to... using, I don't, I don't think she was using the Romulan ale for medicinal purposes. Absolutely not. And I remember that um, there was a, a point that was made, and I don't remember when or where, that Vulcans are vegetarians. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at this, I just wanted to make sure that these dishes that she was serving him didn't have any kind of like meat or meat substitutes in there. I think they looked all kind of like fruity and vegetable-y. Yeah. Well, everything on the original series food seemed to be uh, multicolored cubes, cubes. whatever. <laughs> but the interaction between the Romulan commander and Spock or these two actors, actress, they're just so perfect. You know, rarely if ever, I mean, with, uh, was it Marriott Hartley? Was there Beth? Mm -hmm. She and Spock had great chemistry together. Uh, he and Jill Ireland in this side of paradise had great chemistry together. Maybe it's Leonard Nimoy. Maybe he just has this, this uh, je ne sais quoi, this joie de vivre that he just brings to the role of Spock. I don't know. There's, there's just something about it. But you know what? Spock is uber cool. He is like, he's like ice. He's like an ice man, you know? And maybe that was the appeal. He's, maybe he has sex appeal because he has no sex appeal. You know, as a Vulcan, he's, he's not, it's not like he's trying to be a sexy, sensual being. It's just who Spock is. It's like the, the challenge of trying to bring that out of him. Right. And there's it in a way. I mean, it's not like, I mean, you know, in, in Romulan history, you know, your Romulans are, are an offshoot of Vulcan heritage and they didn't embrace like the, the logic. And obviously they weren't there for the time of Kirshara, you know, when Surak did the, the final purging of emotions and try to lead his people down that path. The Romulans are still very much in tune with their emotions. So maybe that's something that in this scene, she's trying to, to, to pull out of Spock. Like, you know what? I understand, you, you know, your, your Vulcan necessity for logic, but if you join, join me, you know, if you join us, <laughs> there's a completely other way of looking at this. And it's not like it's an alien way of looking at it. You're, you're part of our heritage. You know, you're part of our, root culture in a way yeah it's it's all in there so unlearn what you have learned we're crossing a lot of streams here <laughs> what do you think of this scene I and mean, what, what do you get out of this first time i saw it i was not really sure what was going on because it was pretty clear at this point that they were planning something but i wasn't sure if he was still on board with the plan anymore now, how old do you think? Do you remember how old you were when you saw this for the first time? And oh, what were you understanding? Um, I kind of understood that uh, they seemed to like each other, you know, you know, emotionally. They seemed to be connecting with each other. But uh, um, beyond that, I didn't really get it. Um, I was too young. You know, it's funny that you brought up 
the man from uncle because there's a very solo Kuryakin thing going on between Kirk and Spock and Robert Vaughn. Yeah. When he was, you know, when he was hired to play Napoleon solo, he was the dark haired, slick, very polished, you know, that was his thing. But I remember that so many young women at the time were really falling for Kuryakin because he was the mysterious one. He was, he didn't get a lot to do, but what he did was extremely impactful because and then you're, you're right you're, here. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And this is where you saved it. This is where you save it, Spock. It's like he's playing along, and then as soon as she walked out the room, it's like snap. But see how slick that was? That's a that's a Kuryakin kind of slickness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he did it. I mean, he's talking to this communicator, and they they know that they only have a moment. Subcommander Tal is. You know, I must know the source. Yeah. Get that get that one bit in there. Get your acting chop in there. I can't get over how good Shatner looks in that makeup. I mean, mm-hmm. he really does. He looks fantastic. But Spock always had this flair with all the tech. That dress is almost shades of uh, Marlena Moreau. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always like the flower print patterns of the 60s. You know, they just had these really great bold statements. And he was so smooth whipping that communicator back down. Absolutely. Anytime he pulled out a phaser one or two, or if he had to do something with his tricorder, any of the equipment, he had a very cool style about him as if it was just, it was an extension of his body. You know, some of the other actors were kind of like struggling with that, but he. Not just two fingers, but four. (laughs) Cause uh, when his parents showed up, it was just two fingers. That's right. Interesting, though, that the scene, that particular scene, they're almost consorting in a mutual Vulcan Romulan kind of way. Mm-hmm. Where do you, th- I mean, if we really want to kind of like drill down into it, where do you think Spock would have learned these particular parts of this? I guess it would be kind of like, you know, Vulcan foreplay. Yeah. It's not like he has a lot of practice. And it's something that he wouldn't have shared with, say, Chapel. Or, like, would you imagine seeing, like, if this would be something of significance if he did this with Uhura in 2009 or, or in Into Darkness? I think that would have added another layer to that. Because it would come, it would reference this particular scene directly. Mm-hmm. I don't remember him actually um, doing any of these types of rituals with Savik in Search for Spock when he was undergoing the Ponfar. Um, they did do the, uh, the finger touching. That was about it though, right? Uh, that was about it. Yeah. Yeah. This is a little bit more tantalizing, if you will. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm looking through this library. I'm, I'm, I'm sifting through this library of what I can and can't say on, the, <laughs> on, on our commentary, but it is very sensual. Um, it is very steamy even for 1960s TV. And I think it actually just, it sets the, it sets this scene up perfectly. Mm-hmm. and Spock just surrenders himself mm-hmm. does this fall under the category of Vulcans are incapable of lying or does he do this because this is part of the plan I think it was part of the plan like in case you get caught don't deny it because it'll just be worse well I think he has to draw the heat away from Kirk mm-hmm. at this time because yeah. I'm probably sure they worked out a system where it's like, you know what, you got to give me the go ahead 
on this entire plan to take Nomad out of that console. <laughs> <laughs> Nomad, Spock's brain. Right. <laughs> now, you said this was produced before Spock's brain. Mm-hmm. So they basically took this set, dissected it, scrapped mm-hmm. it for parts, and uh, plugged in like a couple of aluminum rods here and there. and Spray painted it black. There you have it. You have the... Uh, Oh, don't throw that prop to the floor, please. <laughs> do you ever say that to yourself? And listener, do you ever say this to any, like when you're watching these shows, like I would kill to just take that prop off the floor and keep it for myself. Cause a lot of this stuff just ended up getting so abused. Mm-hmm. I mean, and yes, this is, we hold a lot of the stuff that you're watching on screen kind of like as these great treasures because they are to us as fans. But when they're filming this right now in 1968, they're just, prop pieces i mean the the actors don't go home during you know the end of their day they're like hmm, i wonder if i can put this on some type of auction block in the near future and make tons of money off of it (laughs) they wouldn't have ebay for uh, several decades this is true but i i love how the cloaking device is a handheld thing or an arm held thing in this case you know it's like a giant football (laughs) is that the sargon sphere the Sargon Sphere and uh, Nomad's Head. Yep. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And it looks like a jukebox on the wall there. <laughs> I love those Romulan uniforms so much. I'm mm-hmm. going to have to do that one day. I mean, they look, A, they look comfortable. It's but they're also cool very striking. Fabric, too. Absolutely. I think Eric Henry and uh, what he was doing over there in Pacific 201 was trying to do like um, an enterprise-esque approach mm-hmm. to what those Romulan patterns would look like. This is the coolest line. This is so Kuryak and cool coming up. I'm not going to spoil it for all the first listeners, but how could you do this? Who are you that you could do this? <laughs> first officer of the enterprise. Oh, you are cold, Spock. You are cold. Playa. <laughs> and Jeff's wearing his uh, science office's beanie. What is your present form of execution? Yep. <laughs> Just stone cold. I love that, though, because that's the loyalty that you thought was shifting at the very beginning of the episode. And then just Spock just like right there, he just snaps out of it. And he's like, first officer of the Enterprise, you can't buy or, or shake or trade my loyalty for anything. I absolutely love that. That just speaks volumes about the character of Spock. This is a great scene, though. <laughs> Captain, like, your ears. Your ears. <laughs> and he says, that's not a request. Her is still mesmerized by the ears. Her hair looks fantastic in this episode, by the way. Mm-hmm. But it sets a huge contrast to what was going on at the beginning. I mean, you know, even though that he looks like a Romulan, it's still jovial Kirk, the Kirk that everyone loves and trusts and, and will follow into, you know, Helen back. But that the beginning is just, he was just so overbearing and they started to lose confidence and trust. And, you know, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, something happened. Obviously, since he doesn't look like Kirk, he looks like a Romulan that looks like Kirk. But I love that scene. It's it's a great role reversal. There's a lot of just shakeups in this story. Love it. And she's heartbroken. 
mm-hmm. I think. I think she, I mean, she's yeah. really, really just betrayed. They light her so well. And that looks like one of the uh, little monitors that was on the uh, the gooseneck from the pilot. Oh, I'm sure. On top of that uh, console thing there. I mean, they just did a masterful job of, you know, repurposing things for the, the props and such. I think what we were getting at before with just the way that everything is lit and just the consistency of knowing where you are, that you're on the Romulan ship or you're on the Enterprise. The Enterprise has, you know, this this great, cool, gray palette. You know that you're on this ship. It looks almost like a, a Navy vessel in the, the, the cool gray. Exactly. And then you're, I think they're trying to pull off a very alien aesthetic, you know, with mm-hmm. all the different colors and just, it has its own vocabulary, you know, visual vocabulary. And they really are, I mean, they are taking full advantage of all of the Technicolor you know, that is going on with TV sets at the time. And here he's being a rules lawyer. Yep. Well, he's got a, he's vamping. Oh yeah. He's Vulcan vamping. Kirk looks, I mean, out of context without the uniform, with the Romulan uniform, he's looking a little Eddie Munster-ish right now. (laughs) (laughs) Got him. Here's another scene and that, 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 um, that also when, that that speaks volumes to Chekhov's abilities to be able to pinpoint a Vulcan on a ship full of Romulans. You know that's a great point, and and we mentioned this in Spock's brain how how Chekhov had all of the capabilities of a I guess junior science officer or science officer in training because he jumps right into Spock's monitor and does this. You know, I mean, it's that's what I loved about some of the things that they did in the third season. Well, obviously they did it in all of the original series, but. They showed all the capabilities of all the bridge officers being able to inhabit or inherit all the different posts that they needed to. You know, like in Balance of Terror, you know, Styles jumped all the way down to phaser operator crew. You know, but he's a trained tactical officer. You know, there, you know, Chekhov jumps into Spock's console and knows what he needs to do. I think that's fantastic. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, that was that was a great shot. That was a nice pull away scene. See the the, the spirit's still there. But the 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 look and intent is is just miles ahead of where it was. You got a little bit of the uh, the stars streaking. You really didn't see that in the original, but it's a nice touch. Interesting thing about the transporter and her jumping in there. It's. There's a lot of leeway with the transporter. You know, I always thought it was something that was supposed to be instantaneous in the terms of beaming, but it seems like she heard like the startup process and she knew what that was and grabbed onto him. But just kind of like the same thing in Star Trek four. Right. Surprise. I can totally see Ben Stiller playing sub commander tall in some type of recreation. <laughs> does of look kind of like him. Right. And I always like this because this was shades of balance of terror mm-hmm. where, you know, Kirk's like, I know how to outmaneuver this guy. All I need to do is make sure that Scotty can get us this cloaking device working because they still have the same. I mean, it's a bird of prey. 
And it makes more sense here now that as an actual bird of prey because they have that same... No, it's a D7 following them. It's the D7. It's, oh, uh, it's the command ship. It's, it's her ship. Right. But it would probably use the same armament, so it would have that energy torpedo that they were using in Balance of Terror, or an actual torpedo torpedo. Um, It's hard to say. They never. I don't know if they uh, showed it. Well, it seems like Kirk's pretty nervous that if that ship overtakes them or if it gets in the weapons range, they would be in big trouble. Well, even with conventional weapons, it would still do some pretty heavy damage. Throw the switch. <laughs> and this is why I love the original series so much because and Enterprise, because come hell or high water, you got to make that decision. There is no hemming or hawing. You're throwing that switch. You're either exploding or you're disappearing. And this is that bounce of terror scene I was talking about. They're like, of course, we're going to change directions. We're invisible. And now we can change course. Yeah, those are conventional torpedoes. Yeah, and see, boom, done. And disruptors. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic recreation and 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 maintenance of the spirit of that scene. You know, you just get a little bit more narrative, but I think that they did a brilliant job in recreating all the special effects scenes for the original series. I mean, it's just I mean, from when you see like the the planet killer and the doomsday machine to even some of the smaller effects, they're just, they're, they're the, like the Tholian web. You know, you, you just see a little bit more, mm-hmm. you know, you see the different angles and I think that's fantastic. One thing I did like was uh, some of the things when they did make a, a bigger change, like with Charlie X, they actually showed the Antares and it was one of the cargo ships from the animated series. Right. Right. And the, um, uh, Ultimate computer. The originally the starbase was just a reuse of the uh, K seven uh, establishing shot, and they replaced that with the Watchtower class uh, stations from the Vanguard novels, and that was pretty cool too. No, it's smart. They they obviously knew that um, there were certain things they needed to enhance in certain ways. I think this is a really nice scene between these two. Mm-hmm. I really do. I mean, they they finally get to let their guards down, both of them. And I think this is the only time in the episode where we actually get to see how Spock really felt. As much as, you know, he's, you know, he can feel at this time, but, or, or let on that he could feel. But I, I think in some way that there is a little bit of regret because I found, I think he found her challenging and engaging and intellectual and confident. And I think it's just something that, I don't think that he's found that in anyone else, really. Uh, at least not during the course of the series that we've seen. Mm-hmm. It's almost a a nice bookend to the way that Kirk and the Romulan commander had that respect for each other. You know, it's like it. Um, you know, in any other reality, I think I could have called you friend. I'm not exactly sure how the, the quote goes. You know how the quote goes, but uh, you you know the sentiment Close of enough. that. Yeah, yeah. And here, I think Spock was like. If we were somewhere else, if there was a different reality for the both of us, I think that there was something special between the two of us. It's just that I can't go any further than this, you know, first officer of the Enterprise and all that. And what's uh, uh, an original series episode that has such a great emotional scene um, traditionally broken with a moment of levity? <laughs> oh 
bones. <laughs> Get that last word in there. Great balance to this episode, I think. You know, you have moments of action, you have moments of humor, you have moments of tension and high drama, you have moments of romance, and I don't know. It's, you know, for the... Uh... And then you have... Hey. Smiles and laughs all around. Yep. Where everybody and... knows your name. Cut to credits. Yep. So you have Frybugger and Justman in there. We talked about that in Sprock's brain, you know, how uh, these were the uh, two producing heads at the time. Um, there was obviously some conflict in the, uh, in the front office with the way things are going. But I got to say, I felt that this was a, a supremely successful episode in terms of the look in terms of the way that they were able to make the budget work. the I mean, I mean, they had to make a new costume for her. Obviously, it wasn't the biggest stretch of, of, of making different costumes. They had to make the prosthetics for Kirk, you know, the ears and stuff like that. And I know for some of the listeners, you're like, what's the big deal? That's just a pair of ears. But it actually kind of is a big deal when you're dealing with literally squeezing cents on the dollar when it comes for production. So I don't know. I mean... Yeah, when you got your prop master literally dumpster diving, trying to find stuff to use to make sets, you know the budgets are tight. And that's the end of the episode. So, gosh, I mean, that was, I think, I've always loved the Enterprise incident because I always felt that in in the maligned third season, like air quote maligned because that's not how I feel about it, but I think that's how the general the general original series fandom thinks about it. I think that it is a supremely successful episode. I think it looked great. I think the acting was on point. The sets looked fantastic. The costuming was great. The pacing was great. And I think Ken brought this up in our Spock's Brain episode. Where What if this was the premiere for season three and set a different tone? I mean, Jeff, do you think that would have... Do you I think, think that, that would have yeah. been a huge difference. Um, some of my favorite episodes are from season three, and this is one of them. And I think if they had started off with this, I think it would have been a much the 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 season would have been much better received. I th I think it starts off with the type of tone that you wanted to see after the B. Joe Trimble success of getting the show back on the air and waiting that entire summer to see what was going to happen. I don't think that we got that in Spock's brain, but. Yeah, I, I, this was just like a direct continuation of, I think, season two, just in terms of the overall quality. Was there anything in this episode that kind of stood out for you that was really successful or unsuccessful? I think they did a phenomenal job with the, uh, the sets and the costumes, considering the limitations that they had on the budgets. But aside from the physical things in the story... Did you like come away with anything that you were just like, you know what? I never really saw that in Star Trek before. Um, that was new to me. Or they were just approaching subject matter that was just above and beyond the quality that I'm used to seeing. Well, like you were saying with the uh, the relationship between Spock and the Romulan commander, it's, it's kind of a mirror to the relationship with Kirk and the previous Romulan commander. Because there was, you know, the, you know, it things had been different their relationship would have been different and it just further illustrates that the Romulans while they're adversaries they're not really villains and I, I thought that was uh, really nicely uh, 
portrayed in this episode. You know, the, the Klingons very often, they were just villains. And, you know, they were dastardly, mustache-twirling villains half of the time, um, with rare exception. And the Romulans, they were not. They were, they were very much, uh, you know, they were an antagonist, but they weren't a villain. Well, let me ask you a little bit more about that. That's a really good point. When we watched this, I never really felt that, that you're right, that the Romulans weren't villainous. They are, I mean, they are obviously protective of their own borders and they're a very efficient and very well-disciplined race, military race. But when she was interrogating Kirk earlier on in this episode, I never felt like she was doing it in a malicious way. You know, like she wasn't going to throw him in the brig, torture him to death or beat on him or abuse him. I mean, or treat him like a, uh, treat him poorly as a criminal or um, a, a criminal of war. That wasn't her intent at all. She, she actually was very, I mean, the entire point, the, the entire time that he was there, he was treated very uh, civilized. I mean, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. that's obviously not the way that uh, say, I mean, core put Spock through the mind sifter in Darren of mercy, you know, he was going to do the same for Kirk. So I don't know. I, I I think that's probably one of the interesting things about the Romulans that that is, is so very almost romantic and appealing is that you don't feel that they are barbarians the way that the Klingons are. And obviously, that's an obviously conscious choice because you can't have every single alien race that you meet in the original series space barbarians. But even the Klingons in the original series weren't space barbarians, you know? So I don't know. I mean, did you feel that they stood out enough from the Klingons to be their, to be like their, their own power? Well, I think it's kind of interesting that a lot of the traits of the Romulans uh, that made them unique were later integrated into the portrayal of the Klingons when uh, when they would show up on the later series. You know, the the honor and, you know, just the things that uh, kind of set them aside from the Klingons. Uh, and that was, uh, you know, it, I, I think that made them more uh, of characters that you could relate to um and that made them a uh, uh, little uh little more like uh i i think it's interesting that the um character traits of the romulans that we saw in the original series you know the the honor and the dedication to duty and the loyalty were things that weren't present in the klingons in the original series and they got picked up for the klingons later and I think that's something about the Romulans that was really interesting in the original series. And I would like to have seen more of that uh, if we had gotten a chance to see more of the Romulans. It's, it's weird. It's like it's almost the um, the Andorians were kind of like an amalgamation of like the Klingons and the Romulans in a way. You know? Yeah, I, I can see that, um, especially uh, on Enterprise. But I mean, a little bit of that when they showed up on uh, the original series, yeah. too. Yeah, absolutely. So. Thanks, everyone. I mean, that's that's going to pretty much wrap up our discussion and our commentary for the Enterprise incident. And we had an I mean, it was a really interesting time. It was it was kind of weird a little bit to like listen to the episode in one ear and try and make commentary and and our own thoughts. So forgive us if uh, if the uh, conversation there went a little awry. But that's it's kind of like um, anytime you watch like a Mystery Science Theater 3000 or any type of like commentary episode, you get little. Um, strange uh, pockets of uh, either dead air or kind of like some convoluted conversation because we're we're trying to do we're trying to literally like like split our brain in half our Spock's brain in half and um, 
kind of like deal with what we're watching with and in commenting it at the same time. But I think we actually came up with some pretty good discussion here. We would obviously would want to hear what your thoughts were watching this with us on the Babel conference. And before we go, we would like to open up hailing frequencies here for a moment. So hailing frequencies open, please. Hailing frequencies are open. Jeff, we actually had a really nice email come in this week. I'd like to read this to you and uh, just get your thoughts on this before we close out the show. From Rebecca Skipper, and I quote, I enjoyed episode 115, and that was our wibbly, wobbly, timey-wimey episode. I enjoyed episode 115 in your discussion of the differences in the Prime Universe and New Trek. Although I watched TNG with my mother when I was growing up, I credit Star Trek 2009 for introducing me to TOS and the entire series. I watched Star Trek in its, hor- I watched Star Trek in its historical order, starting with... Enterprise. Although I prefer the Prime Universe version of Star Trek, I will say that the series has changed my outlook on life and many of my attitudes. Star Trek has survived due to its diversity. Star Trek and its characters mature when facing adversity, just as we do today. There are many episodes where we see alternate enterprises, and our favorite characters must confront an alternate version of themselves or identical enterprises who met an unfortunate end. Remember the episode in which one version of the Enterprise loses to the Borg? Some believe that time and space are fluid and alterable. It would be interesting to see if Trek FM would be interested in creating an entire series about time travel, multiple universes, and alternate universes in the state of current technology. Yes, I know time travel is fictional, but there are theorists who are curious about the possibility of time travel. I think fans should use Star Trek as an avenue to examine themselves and their ability to accept various perspectives. We are fortunate enough to revisit our favorite series and characters. However, our favorite characters face more uncertainty. They can lose their life or existence as they know it due to an incursion in the temporal timeline. When you consider that possibility, I wonder why there is so much controversy over a new Trek, particularly when the prime timeline isn't lost. Thanks. Thanks, Rebecca. That was a fantastic email. Um, Jeff, what do you think about that? And... What do you think about her last that last part there? It's like, uh, why is there so much controversy over a new Trek, particularly when the Prime timeline isn't lost? It's still there. Like you said before, it is still there. I never understood that either. I mean, we've had time travel, like I've said, since the very first season of the original series. And we've had alternate universes since the first season of the original series. It's been there. It's always been there. And it's always going to be there. And I, I think it's... Uh, I'm I'm not I'm really not sure why uh, why there's so much opposition to it. I I think it's just um, a dissatisfaction that what they're seeing being shown in theaters isn't what they want to see, perhaps. Um, well, I mean, I think that's an actual valid point, and you know, just not and not to belabor this because you know I think that. Um, I think, Rebecca, you're absolutely right that, you know, IDIC is like the root of why we watch Star Trek. And and I think that there is room for uh, a variety of different points and a variety of different trajectories and perspectives and and all different types of dimensions of storytelling in Star Trek. But to what you were saying, Jeff, I do I do agree that I think. I think that the magic formula is take the original series and just make everything look modern. And I think that's what people want. They want that the spirit of the original series just with the new costumes, the new effects, um, a ship that doesn't look like the way that they designed the ship in JJ track or new track. I should say it's, 
there's so many different people and so many different perspectives that you have to please. I think the only way that you can move forward with it is to, is just to make sure that you're making a really good product. Now, some people may or may not disagree with that, but I, I thought that they made a fantastic product in, in 09 and in, Into Darkness, but that's a completely different, completely different topic altogether. So thanks again, Rebecca, for writing in. And for all of you, all of our listeners out there, if you would like to write in to us, you can find the way to do that on our homepage on Trek FM on the sidebar. And as for a, a series uh, talking about time travel, I know that uh, that seems to be uh, a thread that's being picked up in some of the other shows. I know Metatrex has already done an episode on it. And uh, I think I've heard some things from some of the other hosts that would, they've been considering it as well. It's a fascinating subject. And oh yeah, there are so many different ways to look at it. I think that uh, on the last Metatrex, that was kind of like a spinoff of our number 115. Mm-hmm. Mike and-, and they got a kick out of saying... Uh, a wibbly wobbly primey wimey as often as possible. <laughs> I think they were trying to set a drinking game to that. But <laughs> it really is a very dense subject when you think about it. It can go mm-hmm. a variety of different ways. I mean, it can you can slice it literally to the nth degree and still really not cover what you want to cover in it. So that's something we could take a look at. That there maybe there's possibility there. And who knows what is going to be happening with Brian Fuller at the helm of the new show in 2017 as showrunner. He may go back to the prime universe. Who knows? You know, the only people that know right now are some studio executives and Brian himself. So hopefully some of that information will roll out soon. And I hope that everyone accepts what's going to happen as it comes. I think that as Star Trek fans, that's just, I think that's our responsibility to embrace IDIC and allow what happens to happen. That's just the way I feel about it. But you know, I know that not everyone does and everyone likes their pocket of Star Trek the way they want it. And that's fine. You know, that's fine. But to this point, and that's the last thing I'm going to say about this, this email, the prime timeline is still there. The prime timeline is still there. You know, it's it, it hasn't gone away. The books are still there. The canon still exists. And even in Star Trek Online, it exists. Correct, Jeff? Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, the whole point of the uh, storyline for the first year, or you know, for the last five years of the sh- of the storyline, which covers uh, twenty four oh nine into twenty four ten, goes directly out of what happened in the uh, time that uh, Nero and Spock left with the uh, the Hobus supernova and all that. That is vital to the storyline in Star in Star Trek Online. So there you have it. You know, you can. You can get your Star Trek the way you want it in so many different ways. One, you know, one way is a group of fans. Another way is another group of fans. And that's fine. That's fine. That's the way Star Trek is. You know, there's so many different flavors. Everything is there for everybody. So, and another thing I love about uh, time travel and the multiverse is it's a perfect way to provide an in-universe explanation for any retcon you want to make. That's true. That's true. We just got to be careful. Like they don't retcon too much. Or like I said, you're going to look at the timeline as this shattered spider web to like the nth degree, because, uh, you know, like even the doctor, even the TARDIS can't, it can't travel through some temporal catastrophes. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you look at, uh, Daniel's temporal adver- observatory in uh, the episode cold front, uh, it looks like the inside of a uh, plate of, of yeah, spaghetti. It's pretty crazy. And that's just, you know, that's the risk of time travel. <laughs> so, you know, Jeff, that was that was a lot of fun. Did you have a lot of fun? I had a lot of fun. Did you have fun? 
Yeah, that yeah. was fun. And I hope our listeners had fun. And, you know, doing this commentary for the Enterprise incident was a fantastic thing. I, I think it was, uh, I think Ken will have a, a lot of fun when we do it next time uh, for Standard Orbit. But this type of commentary on the Enterprise incident isn't the only thing that we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Earl Grey. Jordy is the one that's like, you know what? No, you're wrong. You're wrong about Data. I'm going to drop a challenge right here, and Data's totally going to step up to the plate, and you're going to get served, Plasky. And that's how LaForge created Moriarty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it turned out good, but I mean, he had good intentions. The Orb. The Wadi, a fun-loving race from the Gamma Quadrant, arrive at DS9 eager to play a game with Cisco and the crew, one that appears to be a matter of life and death. All right, so are we moving along, Matthew? Oh, we're moving along. <laughs> Is there any redeeming value? The Ready Room. He's carrying in the lamb chop sock puppet <laughs> saying... She stayed at her post <laughs> while Charlie Horse ran. <laughs> while Charlie Horse ran. <laughs> to the journey! She has a holographic boyfriend that malfunctions. That can mean only one thing. She knows how he malfunctions. <laughs> well, I hear it's common in a lot of guys his age. Commentary, Trek stars. I haven't seen Mean Girls. You haven't seen Mean Girls. I oh know. Everybody wants me to see oh Mean Girls. Oh, my God. Yeah, you have to see Mean Girls. I mean, after yeah. Josie and the Pussycats, though. Oh, how could I, I forget Josie and the Pussycats? The 602 Club. I actually like when they bring in the big container for the brain fish at the beginning. That's so weird. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, really it opens mysterious. up and it's, you know, speaking through the... And all the minions that have the, to mop uh, up after it at the end. Yes. Yeah, I thought yeah, that was pretty no. funny. Although it's like a slug trail. Um, you can actually see one of the guys while he's talking, kind of wandering around, mopping up. I was like, yeah. what is that guy doing? Literary Treks. You're totally right that when Atonement was done, I really did feel like um, everybody needed a break. Like a Not that bar. <laughs> there wouldn't be challenges and obstacles and things, but I wanted the, the next sort of series of adventures that they faced for a while to be more infused with the sense of wonder that sort of underpins all of Trek. Women at Warp. You can always count on DC Fontana to Vulcan things up, and I, I for one, appreciate her for that. Get Vulcan with it. Na-na-na-na-na-na. <laughs> Na-na-na-na-na-na. Get Vulcan with it. Meta Treks. Don't tell me you haven't wondered what it's like to be Patrick Stewart. I, actually, I've wondered, I've, I've often wondered what it's like to be the Shat. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way to know. It's one of a kind. He's one of a kind. He's one of a kind. <laughs> Melodic treks. But it's basically from a motivation of not treating the audience stupid. You know, treating them that they have dreams, they have imagination, they have hope, they have fear. They have all those things, and the music plays on that. And introducing Saturday Morning Trek. A show about the animated series and all things Trek in the 1970s. Like six episodes counts as a season. This isn't the British, okay? This isn't this is two seasons of Sherlock. Come on. This isn't Sherlock. Yes, I've been waiting for several years to see more Star Trek, which is like Sherlock. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. But From There to Here is also a good podcast you should listen to. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. 
So we're in that part of the show where we actually have to wrap things up, Jeff. And if you could, please let all of our listeners know how they can find us across subspace and the interweb so they can get their Trek FM. You can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. And of course, you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at Trek FM and grab the RSS link there as well. And if you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. That makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes, and it helps us to increase our visibilities for new listeners. And if there's another way that you'd like to help us here out at Trek FM, please take a look at a program that is hugely important to us, and that's called Patreon.com. If you visit Patreon.com slash Trek FM, you'll be able to find a variety of different ways to help support the network. You can find different levels of support that are right for you. You can join us on the patron zone, which is the advanced footage, special footage, if you will, of different bits of shows or wallpapers or any type of things that you would uh, like to get uh, as one of the patrons from patreon.com slash Trek FM. You can join us on the round table, which is an open forum that we do twice a month with Will Wynn and Christopher Jones. Uh, that is for a, the $15 level that happens at twice a month. If you go higher and higher and higher in the program, you can look at things like supporting a show, being an associate producer for a show, uh, even testing yourself out uh, as a possible candidate for joining us on one of these um, trademark shows. So that's how Jeff and I came into the show. That's how Ken came into the show. Uh, we were all sponsors uh, for Trek FM through patreon.com slash Trek FM. And it's just a great way to be able to, to show your support and to help fund uh, all of the different expenses that our network has in order to keep all the content coming to you on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis. Because, you know, as uh, I'm not sure if a lot of people know this, Jeff, but there are a lot of expenses like of servers and being able to host data and the, uh, the, the charges that come in and out of downloading things. So not to get too behind the scenes, but you know, there's a lot of uh, cost that's involved with running a network of this size. Uh, we have a lot of shows uh, that are available to you and with his, and the bandwidth expensive. is pretty expensive. So please take a look at patreoncom slash Trek FM and find the way that is comfortable, that is comfortable for you to support. And I mentioned the associate producers level, and that's really important to us because without our associate producers, we wouldn't be able to do what we need to do for your show, this show, Standard Orbit, on a daily basis. So thank you, Renee Roberts and Richard Rutledge, for your support on Standard Orbit and Trek FM through Patreon.com. You can find Renee on Twitter at MRES underscore 1701 and Richard at RUT8972. Aside from all the different ways that we've discussed getting in touch with us. If you'd like to find us on Trek FM and get in touch with us, you can go to Trek FM slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. You can go to speakpipe.com slash Trek FM and there you can leave us a voice message. We would love, you know what? I'm going to actually do something here, Jeff. I am going to actually send out a prize to the very first voice message we get for Standard Orbit, at least for our refit crew. I'm sure that Mike and Drew got plenty of them because those guys were awesome at the show. And we're just finding our footing and our legging still. We're only in like in our sixth or seventh episode. So if you actually made it to the end here of this show, whoever sends us a voicemail about this show and lets us know about your experience with our commentary with 
the Enterprise incident, I will send you a copy of the Star Trek 365 book that was just won for another contest from the previous show. How is that for wibbly wobbly timey wimey? So it's a fantastic book. It's it was uh, created and written by Paula Block. Uh, it is probably one of the best reference pieces aside from the the These Are the Voyages books by Mark Cushman. It is uh, something that you should have in your library if you're a TOS fan. So please send us a voicemail. The very first person that sends us a voicemail gets that prize. I'm going to post this on the Babel conference when we're done, Jeff, so that we can get this out there. So aside from the voicemail, you can also contact us through Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook, facebook.com slash TrekFM, and the Babel conference. Jeff, could you tell our listeners a little bit about why the Babel Conference is so important to us here as hosts of the show and how it's important for the network. The Babel Conference is a great place for all of the listeners and all the hosts and everyone else involved with the network to get together and just discuss Star Trek. Uh, it's really uh, laid back and formal on there. Uh, it's very friendly. Uh, I have yet to uh, see uh, anything really get out of hand on the uh, the forum there. And it's just a great place to discuss Star Trek and uh, other science fiction uh, because we got the 602 Club, so it's a little more all-encompassing. But uh, our our focus is usually uh, on uh, Star Trek. And you post there pretty regularly, so that's that's a place where somebody can get in touch with you, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. So the Babel Conference, yeah, you're right, Jeff. It's um, it's a great place just to be able to feel safe as a Star Trek fan. I know that's it's a weird thing to say, but... It really is a safe space for us. We can bring about all the different conversations or continue conversation from shows, which is usually what happens because there's still a lot more to say after the conversation is over. So please visit us in the Babel Conference. Type B-A-B-E-L into the search field on Facebook, and it is a listeners-only page. So it is private. Let us know if you want to join, and we will make sure that you get in. And if you want to get in touch with us, Jeff, you have contact information for our listeners. So please let everyone know how they get in touch with you if they want to talk anything about Star Trek, except for Stump Mr. Atos. Stump Mr. Atos goes to Ken. You're not allowed to see those questions. So let all of our listeners know how they can find you for Trek FM. Well, if you don't have access to an Atavicron, you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm on there all the time. And uh, uh, like I said, uh, you know, it's, it's a great place that we can all get together and talk. Uh, and uh, if uh, uh, you're not uh, looking there, you can also find me on Twitter. I'm at Harlander, and I'm a supporter in the network through Patreon. I'm also co-host not only here, but also on Warp 5 on the network. And you can check out my website. It's been called The Grand Unified Theory of Star Trek, and that's at trekopedia.com. Yeah, so as soon as Jeff is done with this show, he's going to step into the Atavicron. He's going to go back about, what, 100 years? About 110. 110 years, and he's going to show up on Warp 5. And you can find him there with Floyd. Um, this is the time period that, that the both of us are very passionate about, the early kind of like the the um, the early outings of Starfleet and the Federation. And uh, that's just something. Right now we're doing a, we're doing a series uh, just going through the first season, and we're just discussing each episode. And I do believe that in From There to Here, which is our comprehensive rewatch of the entire Star Trek series in total. We are going to be scratching the surface of season one of the original series. So please stay tuned. And I hope you get a lot of value from those episodes. They are two 
reviews per episode at around seven, seven and a half minutes apiece for a total of about 15 to 16 minutes of listening time, but they are fantastic. Please take a listen to them. And it's a nice rewatch for people who haven't seen or haven't seen the original series in a long time or first re- or first watch for people who have never seen the original series. And uh, it's nice to have companions for as hosts from the network covering those. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can always find me here on the network or on the Babel conference. Like Jeff said, you can find me on Twitter at Starfighter1701. And I'm a host and executive producer for the network. And I'm also a proud patron of Trek FM through Patreon. So thanks everyone for listening and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit.